story. Other people's perception of you ain't none of your business. I wonder if this is what normal people feel like. Well, like Eleanor Roosevelt said, well-behaved women rarely make history. And nothing says mental health um, cast live like, say, starting with, I drank a whole bottle of wine. Everybody, ooh, that was loud. Welcome to the show. Of course, it's loud because we're, <laughs> it's always weird and a little rough on the transition. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> I wasn't ready for it to be so loud. Hey, Amy, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm, good. It's so good to hear your voice. I've been thinking about it, Amy. Why yeah. haven't you been to DC yet? And like, why haven't we been to Chicago yet? I'm trying to think. I don't know because both DC and Chicago are fun towns. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think mm-hmm. like we literally have to plan some sort of like weekend with all of our friends. Um, yes. And um and 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 go to Chicago, and then you mm-hmm. come here. Yes, come I think here. that would be great. Oh, I love DC. I, I think we have Trish. Is Amanda on? I think Amanda's on too. We're having a whole like. We're going to call it, like, I don't know if Amanda wants to be on the show. She doesn't have to if she has to, but mm-hmm. Trish is on the show. Hey, Trish, how are you? Oh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah, we yes. can. I can. We're okay, just going to throw the... We're going to throw the normal script just clear out of the window today. Why not? Okay. Sometimes you just have to throw, what, caution to the wind or just be, like, a little impulsive. You know, I don't know. I like so, that. All right, so I'm going to ask everyone, because this is like our current event, so I'm going to ask Rebecca first, so how was your week, last two weeks? Last two weeks, last two weeks was good, but OCD is kicking my butt. What do you mean by that? Oh, I'll just, just all the intrusive thoughts. It's just all the intrusive thoughts. So I think we're all going to die in a car accident. Um, So I hate being in the car. I hate when anybody drives in the car. I hate driving in the car. We're all going to die in a fiery crash, and it's going to be horrible. And then today... um, I decided that Steven no longer likes me. He just doesn't like me. Yeah, and, and you know, and it's so funny, Amy, because I told her, I was mm-hmm. like, look, I was just telling someone that I've just started working with. I'm like, like, I don't even know where my medication is. And like, when I look, when my underwear gets a little low, not to be like super like um, personal, <laughs> like I freak out. I'm like, where, where is everything? <laughs> so it's like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like, like he can't function without she, me. <laughs> but she cooks too well. Like, it's like, why would I leave? Like, that's stupid. Yeah, but OCD never makes any sense. So no. it's just it's just thoughts, and I have to remember that it's just thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Amy, how was your week? Pretty good. What um, up to? Give, um, giving my students a test Monday. Um, we've just been like doing open book, open note tests because I want them to get in the habit of looking stuff up. Just because information and psychology changes so quickly, I'm like. You know, by the time anyone, any of them have the qualifications to do anything with this information, it'll probably have changed anyway. So let's just, you know, build the skills for looking it up, reading research articles, instead of really trying to memorize very much. So they also love that because it's an open book, open note test, and they get to stay home and just email it to me. 
So let me tell you this. When I was in school, when the professor said to me, we're having an open book test, I was like, mm -hmm. score. Oh, I love I'm that. I'm getting book ready test. to do, like, I'm getting ready to score 200 points. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I get my buttocks at, down at my, in my room, and I start mm -hmm. taking this test, and the questions were harder like, than if it was just a closed book test. Well, yeah, they're always harder because you can, you can look it up. Yeah, I don't know why I found those harder. Like, it was like, I'm, whenever they say no, open book. No, it's because they're harder. Yeah, I yeah. would cringe. I'd literally cringe when a professor said. Yeah, they make mm -hmm. them harder because you have the information. You just have to know how to find mm -hmm. it. Yeah, that, that really does suck. And that, I try and mix it up. So, like, yeah, there's going to be a few hard uh, questions, most of them in the medium, some of them just blatantly easy. Blatantly easy? That'll yeah. give their confidence up. Mm hmm. Hmm. Well, I don't know. You know, um, you know. Good luck. I'm I'm curious what the average score is when you give an open book test. And uh, they, and for me, really usually in the B's. That's not good. That's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, do they really synthesize the information though? I mean, I guess you do, right? You really like absorb it. You synthesize it. You yeah, understand. Yeah, but like in real life, it. it's not. Real life isn't about rote memorization. Mm -hmm. Like it is about knowing where to find information. Right. And like, you think about how fast things change in psychology. That's right. um, true. You know, think about the episode about like the blood tests for mental illness a few weeks ago. That's true. That's going right. to be a game changer. Everything I teach them about the relationship of therapy to medication in class when we get to that mm -hmm. point right. is going to be different a few years from now. That's true. That's so, true. I, mean, I think about how far we've come and, you know, like, and it was like when we interviewed Dr. Derek and then uh -huh. we interviewed Dr. Nicolescu mm -hmm. and it was interesting because I met with my former boss like last week or week before last, um, who at the medical society and we were talking about scope of practice issues and like seriously, like PAs and like nurse practitioners, like MPs, they're all literally are trying to prescribe and perform medicine without the care of a physician. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from the house of medicine, they're like freaking out right now. Right. Right? It's like, no way um so, but it's interesting to see like although things are changing so fast right is that necessarily mm -hmm. a good thing i think it depends on why it's changing fast if it's just because some of some you know random internet trends no if it's because of a genuine development mm -hmm. then yeah i don't think it's for me it's not so much the speed at which things change but why it's changing like there's this whole thing on TikTok a while ago, box breathing was in fashion. Box breathing? Explain that to me. So basically it's a style of meditation breathing where you kind of breathe into a count of four, hold to a count of four, breathe out to a count of four, hold to a count of four, mm -hmm. box, even sides like a box, four, 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 four. And, you know, there are, you know, internet posts, this is the best kind of breathing. This is the kind of breathing you want to do if you want your meditation to work. Sure. It wasn't even chill. It wasn't even like, this is one of the options all the time. It was like, this is the way to breathe. And that was just a trend. There's nothing to it that makes it more special than anything else. Hmm. You know, it's probably not harmful, but it was just a thing that was going around on the internet. Um, so that's like, okay, whatever. But, you know, some of the things we were talking about, like other types of prescribers, uh, blood tests for mental illness, any kind of innovation in therapy, you know, if it's research-based, if it's been done carefully, then, you know, that could be good. No, no, I, you know, it, I, yeah. I agree. And I'm about innovation. I'm definitely yeah. about innovation and not doing the old 
stale, stagnant, mm-hmm. same, you know, lobotomies that we've been doing since the beginning of time. Um, Nobody better have been doing lobotomies since like the yeah. 60s. I don't know. No. I've met some people that probably should have had a lobotomy. Like, what? No. Shame on you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, so let's get into yeah. let's get into we the have show. To th- ask Trish how her week. Trish, went. how was your week? Oh my God, where are my manners? Where? How was your week? <laughs> well, my week's been a little bit up and down, uh, but uh, it's right now it's very good, and I'm happy to be with you all this evening. Oh, um, happy to well, have you. Do you um you know I'm such I'm so nosy. If you ask Amanda, no. she'll let you know that I'm nosy. So like Amanda and I used to share an office where I used to work, and every time Amanda got up and left, I'm like, "Where are you going?" And she's like, "Since you need to know." So Trish, let me pry. How? <laughs> um, how, how? Um? How have you been sad this week? Well, I uh, I've just I've had some loss. I've lost a. Mm family member last week which was really tough and uh, just brought up some sad feelings of loss of my own so yeah a little bit of that i'm I'm working through it and um understood yeah that's all no, I understand. See what you get for being nosy. I know, but do- Dr. D, Dr. D, like, uh-huh. what say you? Like, okay, so, you know, um, loss is a very real part of mm-hmm. life, and sometimes it does bring up, you know, maybe prior loss or something else that you've gone through, mm-hmm. trauma. And, you know, and, and based on, like, you you know, if you were working with a, well, with a client, like, what would you... Um, what would you say, like, in terms of steps that would help you kind of work through it? I mean, there's... Just kind of the obvious stuff, like you have to let it, let yourself feel it so that it can come out. You have to let yourself express it. Mm-hmm. And there can be really creative ways to express it if you want. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, journaling, talking to people, yeah, but artwork, um, different kinds of memorials. But at the end of the day, you just kind of have to let it happen. Mm-hmm. And grief can be you know, really interesting and different sometimes. For example, we usually think of, for example, hallucinations as um, something bad. It's a symptom. It's a sign that something is going seriously wrong, but it's not that uncommon for people who are having, you know, especially recent grief to hear something that sounds exactly like the person they just lost. Mm. Like to think you hear their footsteps or their knock on their door, some of their sound. And so, you know, Something that seems to be a hallucination is pretty common. Um, even last summer after my cat died, just once or twice I could have sworn I saw her right out of the corner of my eye, but I knew she wasn't there. That happened just, to me when our cat died. Uh-huh. Where it's like you just, like, you swear you just saw them. Like, they just uh-huh. walked past you. You, you yeah. could swear to it, but no, they're not there. You know, I can remember when I was a little boy, and I remember my great-grandmother passed away, and we moved into um, mm-hmm. um, her house eventually. And when we moved in her house, one night I remember going to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and I swear out of the corner of my eye, um, <laughs> I saw her walking. Uh-huh. What did Amanda say? For the record, Stephen always wanted to know where I was going when I was leaving. <laughs> Leaving to use the breast pump. To feed. Oh my God! <laughs> see, see what you get for being nosy. I know. Well, I never wanted to know the answer. She was like, "You shouldn't have asked." I'm like, "You're right." <laughs> <laughs> One day you'll learn. One day you'll learn. Yeah. Um, grief, but on the grief thing, it's going to come in waves. It'll be feeling better, 
and then something will happen and it'll get big again and right. then it'll kind of flow down and calm down and then it'll get big again and just kind of ease down right. but with these spikes and then sometimes you know a lot of times the grief the sadness will never completely leave it'll be tolerable it'll be something you can live with right. but then more happy things in life it's kind of like they coexist alongside it's not that there's ever a time when you stop missing that person mm -hmm. but that just becomes part of the picture and you kind of get that ready to get back to real life and have things be happy and active and you know get back to the other parts of your life besides the grief you know in a way know. This, and that's great feedback you know mm -hmm. and and today and especially what we're dealing with well, what we've been dealing with over three in the last what three and a half four years but especially what we've been dealing with you've saw globally i mean with mm -hmm. earthquakes and disasters and mm -hmm. you know tragic events i mean this is a very timely conversation mm -hmm. sometimes you know they're hard to have of course but that's good, really really good feedback um, but I'm ready. I'm ready. Not that I couldn't sit and, and talk about this probably for a whole show. And we probably should have a show on grief. Yeah. But I really, 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 really am excited about this week's guest. Uh, Trish, I really, you know, I, I don't think I should stand in the way. I think you should introduce yourself to the whole world. We're, of course, Bipolar Girl, heard, heard in over 70 countries worldwide. We actually are starting to get a, a great following in South Africa. Ooh. And so welcome. I think it was from the host, we, the guest we yeah. had. Yeah. So like they've been very, very active in listening to our show. So welcome South Africa on the horn. But Trish, why don't you go ahead and in introduce you and tell us about the Glow Media Project, and then we'll dig in from there. Awesome. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's quite an honor. And I'm always happy to share my story because I think it, I think it can help people. Um, and interesting that we started off talking about grief. And it is grief that uh, prompted me to start the Globe Media Project in the first place. I lost my son um, mm. to an accidental OxyContin overdose. Uh, 11 years now. He was uh, 20 years old, one week shy of his 21st birthday. And it was, uh, well, you know, it was, uh, it was awful. Uh -huh. And uh, the only way I could get out of bed after the first couple months of not getting out of bed was to think of what can I do? How can I... How can I honor his memory? How can I do something to, to save other people the hurt we've experienced? And so I wrote a, a short um, stage play musical about prescription medicine misuse and uh, titled mm. Warning, Take Only as Directed. And we realized in writing it that uh, we should turn it into a film so that it could be viewed more widely than a, a stage play, which could be very costly. Anyway, so mm -hmm. we created Warning, Take Only as Directed, and toured it across the country. And the first question educators had when we go into high schools with this uh, film was, what else do you have? What else do mm -hmm. you have? We have it's quality work, Trish. I mean, mm -hmm. it's very well done. Very Thanks. well done. Well, we realized there was a mental health crisis mm -hmm. um, and a, um, a real gap in 
and the resources available to talk about mental health in the schools. So that's why we started the Glow Media Project. And to date, we have seven, seven short films addressing various uh, mental health topics affecting teens, including Very one nice. on bipolar disorder. So... No, and 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 that's great. And you know, when I was looking through your materials and things. I mean, I, I see that you've partnered, I believe, like to some degree with Discovery, correct? And yeah, Discovery Education picked up the first film, mm-hmm. Warning Take Only is directed, and um, the other films, uh, the other four are are two latest are not released yet because um, they're doing the festival circuit. Uh, but the other four were picked up by InfoBase, Learn360. That's a competitor to Discovery Education. Mm-hmm. Uh, Discovery's going to pick up the rest of them. They just don't know it yet. We just have to, <laughs> you know, I, I'm working on a new contact there. So they were bought, blah, blah, blah. But we'll be back in Discovery. And then they're also available free of charge on our website for schools and other youth-focused um, mm-hmm. organizations. And all of our films come with full guides for educators, parents, guardians, and students so that there are step-by-step instructions um, to talk about whichever mental health topic the film addresses. Now, Trish, why don't you tell everyone about your background before you got into this, almost like this calling um, with the Globe Media Project. What were you doing before then? Well, I was um, basically a stay-at-home mom for most of my adult life that's quite Um, the job uh yeah well and two of my children my two oldest boys had significant learning differences Mm -hmm. and emotional challenges depression anxiety um a lot anyway Mm -hmm. um i did a lot of part-time work and my creative outlet was in children's theater which is how i know amanda who's on this call um, so I was with Adventure Theater in uh, Glen Echo, Maryland for almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Kind of wore every hat there was to wear there. I was an actor, a director. Um, I was chairman of the board for a while. I was executive director of the theater for a while. And I just, I just fell in love with uh, theater and how it, it, particularly children's theater. Sure and how kids are affected by live actors and just to see their fate to, to see them learning in the in the classes the acting classes it just builds such confidence and um it, it was just it was amazing so i knew and my son charlie who died was uh an actor and had gone through the adventure theater classes and whatnot he was a drama major in college and so it was it was pretty natural to to write a play uh to honor his memory and i know i know he's so proud of the work we're doing to uh reduce stigma around mm-hmm. mental health yeah we you know we got the uh hashtag st- uh, stories over stigma from coach p mccalley who's mm-hmm. the um we interviewed on the show she her interview her actually her episode is on the front of our website, but she, you know, she talked about that too. You know, we need to continue to tell these stories and you know what, God bless you for being able to like do that after such loss. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess, you know, for me, when I saw it, I mean, 
you know, you you dealt a lot with young people and being shut in from, uh, you know, from COVID as well. And then after that, I do want to dive in into the bipolar topic for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, tell us a little bit about like um, what you experienced with working with the young people uh, that were dealing with, you know, having to learn, also be in the home and dealing with depression and, you know, no real outlet. Oh, yeah, that was um, so in. Let's see. What are we? We're coming up on the three-year anniversary of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Can't believe so it. So at that time uh, in 2020, we were about to start filming our seventh short film uh, titled "There Can Be Light," which addresses suicide. Mm-hmm. And we we have since made that, but back in 2020, we couldn't do it. There was we we couldn't be on set. We didn't have the resources to have a COVID safe set. You know, you had to be a huge studio to be able to work during during the early stages of the pandemic. Um, so we decided, well, what uh, what can we do? We have to do something. I mean, this right. is this is incredible. What's happening? So we um, decided to do what we do best: to take the pulse of American teens and see how they're feeling about COVID. And the result was a documentary titled Unimaginable, which addresses the effects of, of the pandemic on teen mental health. We uh, interviewed 20, we started with 27 students from uh, all over the country, different backgrounds, different cities, and through a series of Zoom calls and then video diaries, um, we we sort of did like a sort of a focus group type setting right. initially and had the kids meet each other, did little like icebreakers, and then they talked amongst themselves about what they were going through. And uh, it, it was, it was mm-hmm. eye-opening. It was eye-opening. And I, I'm sure you're aware of all the, all the data yeah. that's come out since COVID with the um, mental health crisis amongst our our youth and it was brewing before covid and it was only once covid hit that people were able to pause and actually take stock of what was going on because we had we had some extra time on our hands it's like let's let's talk to these kids and see what's going on and it was it was just fascinating Right. Was it was and I don't want to dominate the conversation, honey. Did you want something you want Amy, did you want to say anything while you or ask a question? I I was just thinking, you know, when you were talking about these focus groups with teenagers, how many rituals they'd been sort of culturally promised all their life that they had to miss. Proms, yeah. graduations. Did they mention that at all? Was that a factor? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say so of the 27 teens that we interviewed, we wound up following five for the mm-hmm. documentary. And they, only because they have the willingness to share and the co- most compelling stories. Mm-hmm. But the data we gathered through all 27, uh, yes, missing the rituals was very, very high on the list. Those who were like juniors and seniors mm-hmm. in high school. Then even more interesting was the uh, percentage of kids who actually welcomed the pandemic mm-hmm. and and the the ability to slow down and just sleep 
and not be programmed 24 mm-hmm. seven. Um, so it, I would say it was 75% really missed everything mm-hmm. and sports, all the rituals, graduations, proms. And I'd say 25% um, were like, yeah, we don't want to go back to school. This, this has been great. Our, our oldest falls into that 25%. Um, okay. Our youngest was dying to get back to school because he's a little social butterfly and he just couldn't take it anymore. But our oldest definitely like the pause and the rest and all of that like really hit home with him and he really needed it. <laughs> and he was not happy when everything opened back up and he had to go back into the rat race of being a teenager. Um, he really enjoyed the break from all of it. Yeah. And I think I've, I've spoken with a lot of educators who also, you know, had trouble. Uh, what, the re-entry was so hard for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not the social butterflies. They were just, you know, thrilled to be back amongst themselves. But I, I was talking to one uh, school counselor a few weeks ago and she said, you know, I was hired right before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit. And I was able to to meet with children one-on-one via Zoom or smaller groups. Then we got back to school and these kids that I'd been talking to for a year or so now were masked and I couldn't read their faces. Mm. And I had no idea what they were thinking or feeling. And it was just, it, it was just really interesting to hear all these different perspectives and to get the, um, I don't know that it was only the 25% kids who, who sparked the, the discussion about the mental health crisis. I think it was a little bit more that this was a global pl- pandemic and educators, parents, adults who previously would not have thought that mental health was something to be addressed now understood, oh, I get it now. Mm-hmm. I understand loneliness. I understand uh, isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to we need to help our kids w- once they get back to school. I think it also, at least for us and our family, I mean, we're very open about mental health, but to see to see them every day, right? Like we didn't see our children, we didn't spend the majority of our time with our children the way we did during the shutdown and COVID because they were off, we were off at work, they were off at school. And so, you know, you only saw each other in the evenings and dinner and then bed, and then it started all over again. But to see them every single day and to see what they were struggling with was really eye-opening. At least for me, it was. I'll bet. And we heard that uh, story after story of the kids we um, interviewed. And then when we were able to go to in-person live interviews, uh, which would have been summer 2021, uh, we interviewed some family members and, and your story is very familiar. The, the adults saying, wow, I had no idea my kids were, I didn't know my kids. All people said, I didn't know my kids. Now I know them. <laughs> for good or for better or worse. Oh, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Dr. D, you know, mm-hmm. is this a discussion um, amongst, you know, uh, practitioners, whether they're pediatric or not? Because mm-hmm. so much of your job, I believe, is also not only listening to the words that are coming out of someone's mouth, but the body language, the, those physical like sort of cues, those facial cues. And to what extent did COVID and the masks disrupt um, the, the ability to actually get more of an authentic either response or get to the bottom of really what was going on um, because of a mask? Was it a factor or is it just, was it nothing? Well, for me and for the practice I work at, it all happened so suddenly. We were doing regular therapy and then there was, you know, the weekend when lockdown started and within a couple of days they had us up and running with online. So, um, for me, it was more getting used to telehealth at first. Hmm. And so that was better. I could at least see their facial expressions. But then there are other little things that you can't really see. Uh, I mean, the rest of their body, you can't always tell as easily how tense they are. You can't see, you know, maybe a slight change of color in the face or a dilation of the eye. Mm-hmm. Which is right. not something I'm really scanning for all the time. But if they seem to be having a really hard time, you know, looking and- for changes... But then I just started going back to the office in January and we do mask during sessions. And I was surprised almost none of my clients wanted to go back to the office. So I'm still doing telehealth with them. But with the couple of clients that do come into the office to see me, masks aren't the biggest thing because they can also watch body language, but they're also adults. So I think, and a lot of them have been with me, you know, a year or two by now. So it's a lot easier to just kind of ask them what's going on as opposed to talking to, you know, a adolescents and B, you know, people I haven't known for very long, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like you would be in a focus group. And I can imagine that, you know, you might not, you might not like for, for, for young people that are in therapy, I, I, I certainly don't want to question the, the, I guess, the quality of the th- of any therapist. But I can imagine that that makes their job because young people they say a lot, but it's not necessarily what that is not the issue. Like mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, it's never the girlfriend that you know that left them at the stop, the bus stop, or the friend that didn't play with them, you know, online. It's always something else. It's always deeper. And to Trisha's point, like. You know, when, you know, when you're talking to young people, you know, that conversation has to be slow, intentional, and, um, and it's not always clear at first. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there has to be a long getting to know you, I think, where absolutely nothing that's obviously therapeutic happens. Mm-hmm. You can totally sit there playing games, um, talking about movies or anything else that interests them, their music, mm-hmm. you know, for days or weeks right? before they're ready to open up. Right. Um, that's and- so even more so than with adults, there's this entire getting to know you period that may not be obviously therapeutic, but, you know, it's kind of what you have to do. And that's interesting because, Trish, I, I think I was getting ready to ask you what you were about to say. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to I was going to add to this when we were doing the interviews for um, for Unimaginable, the documentary, we mm-hmm. did exactly what um, what Amy was saying. You know, we mm-hmm. got to know the kids. We did icebreakers, blah 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 blah. By the time we got to the home interviews, we knew those 
kids so well mm -hmm. and they opened up and bared their souls like uh, we were surprised mm -hmm. we, we were shocked like the dam broke it the, it was like the dam broke and it, it was it it was it was just amazing it was um therapeutic for everybody it was kind mm -hmm. of kind of transformational but we all everybody on set very small crew of course because it was still pandemic but we were all like oh my gosh this is unbelievable I can't believe these kids are going through this and you know what and like kind of like let's pivot just for a second and let's talk about your bipolar uh, documentary which is or docufilm which is absolutely like powerful and the reason why this is important to it should be important to everyone right but it's particularly important to me because our first experience with bipolar understanding what bipolar was was with a a social worker a counselor who had a teenager and a son who was bipolar and so we ended up cappy morgan black is her name and we ended up watching all of her early film and video on on watching her child cycle and you know it and, was her speaking and and speaking mm -hmm. engagements yes she was very much in talking about sort of adolescent bipolar and the way it presents and mm -hmm. so when i when i came across you i was excited about this because now we're in a different age we're post covid or right in the middle of covid um the shutdown and so i just want you to take us through just kind of the experience of a what drew you to bipolar but B, what was that experience like talking to young people, you know, with bipolar? Well, um, we did the bipolar film prior to the pandemic. Was it prior pandemic? Okay, my yeah, apologies. Yeah, we released it in March 2020, um, but that was that was always planned to be released at that time. Um, so I I can't speak to the pandemic with bipolar disorder, but we did. And it's not a documentary, the bipolar film. It is a scripted um, uh, narrative short film, but based on a true story. So, ah. we, yeah, and was co-directed, co-written and co-directed by the sister of the young man uh, whose life the story is based on. So, so what was the motivation behind having it scripted versus unscripted? Well, most of our films are scripted. And the reason we just have that one documentary so far about the effects of the pandemic, because we couldn't do anything scripted. We couldn't do it. The, the idea of having them scripted is that they are relatable short films um, that speak to teens in mm -hmm. their language. Okay, mm -hmm. so we have, we have professional actors playing the teenagers mm -hmm. and... It's just, I think it's, it, it's, it's easier to write the curriculum guides with a scripted narrative um, than with the documentary. Mm -hmm. And it allows us to tell the story that we want to tell. Sure. And ask the questions that we want to ask. So with it being scripted, I know you said that the sister was hugely involved in it. Was there any physicians or therapists oh, or anything yes. like that involved in it oh, as well? Absolutely. For each and every one of our films, we, um, we have um, experts in the field 
who review the scripts and the um, curriculum. Okay. For instance, our latest film addressing suicide in teens, it's, it's still being reviewed. We've had, I can't even tell you how many, but it's such a loaded topic. Uh, we mm-hmm. had to have everybody and their brother review it. Um, but yes, we, um, we, our goal is to have the most up-to-date resources in the guides mm-hmm. for every topic um, that we address. So yeah, the bipolar one, I, I didn't know a lot about it. I have some family members, loved ones who live with bipolar disorder, but I had never delved into it uh, to the level we did for this film. And it was What made you guys choose bipolar? Why was that one of the ones that you chose to do? Actually, the family of the young man, um, the stories based upon, they came to us and asked if mm-hmm. we would do it. And okay. he had died. He had died oh. recently. Um, My condolences. Was, yeah, it was. Uh, I won't go into the details there. No. But the family wanted to honor his memory, and mm-hmm. not not with how he died, but how he lived. And he lived True. with bipolar disorder. He was. It was a courageous battle he fought for. I don't know from the time he was diagnosed. I guess it was about six or seven years until his death mm-hmm. and just to go inside the the family and inside the young man's head oh. and to put that on film um, was really really interesting and, and helpful and that that film you can show it to people and who've never who don't understand bipolar or have never been exposed to it. And after the 10 minute film and going through the Q and a in the curriculum, they, they will understand what it is and be more empathetic to, to those who suffer from it or live with it. And they're not going to say some of the, some of the vernacular that we use like, Oh, he's so bipolar. She's so bipolar. No. Mm-hmm. Once you see this film, you're not gonna you're not gonna make right, that. and that's what I was getting ready to say. That you know, what I see in a in a, in a project like this is the ability to kind of like help educate people about how important that like words are when you're dealing yes. with someone who is you know dealing with bipolar. Exactly, it is all about language in every film we deal with. There are, I mean, it's just our society. It's it, it's the way we were raised. It's the, and fortunately, language is fluid and um, and is changeable. But it takes a lot of work, right? And a lot of repetition. Um, so, right. and if it, we can start them early, right, in the classroom, exactly, exactly. It, you know, it, it, you know, a thirteen-year-old is not too young to to watch our film about bipolar disorder. I don't know what that is. Well, now you do. And right. now once you hear that somebody that you know or somebody's friend or somebody's loved one lives with bipolar disorder, you can have empathy. Right. And, and just just awareness. So you're not making fun of somebody unwittingly because you just don't know. 
So how do you choose your other topics? I know the family came to you for the bipolar one, and obviously suicide is just a huge issue with our teens anyways. But how do you choose the topics for your films? That's a great question. And the bipolar one, yes, the family came to us and asked us, but it was also on our list. Okay. Um, so it was it was going to be, it was in the hopper anyway. Um, after every screening of any of our films, we, we um, distribute surveys and and ask what would you like to see w what topic um would you like to see addressed in this manner um or you know we'll give an idea of what we want to what we want to do and and see how how it ranks mm -hmm. with the audience um i'm not going to tell you what our next one is because because <laughs> uh, that's still under wraps mm -hmm. but um yeah, it's it's based on on what what the educators see, what the mental health professionals see, and what the students see, and what the students need. And we have found the students they know what they want. So walk us through sort of the framework, the curriculum framework. You'll go into a classroom. You'll be in the with you know young people. They will view a film, and I'm assuming there's some pre and post discussion. Yeah. Um, but you know, depending upon the topic, it might be seriously like heavy and emotional, and yeah. sort of maybe even triggering in some cases. Mm -hmm. So, I, is it a series of talks, like you know, that happens like throughout the week or a week? Or is is it is it one full day? Like, how would you like take me through an experience with with Glow Media? Yeah, great, great, uh, great question. And every school is different, mm -hmm. and every student body is different. So we are not trying to tell educators how to do their job. Mm -hmm. if, if they know, like, especially for instance, with the suicide film. The, they know what they, the, everybody knows what suicide is, right? Right. And are sensitive to their student bodies. If there has been a suicide in, in that student body recently, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be different in every case. But typically we would like to see our films shown in back-to-back um, -back classes, like, you know, a 40 minute class period, Mm -hmm. usually a, a health class and we'd have the pre-screen discussion questions and then screen the film and then in the second um and then post screening dis discussion questions and then in the second class go more in depth into the conversation uh do some exercises uh review fact sheets Mm -hmm. and uh, review resources that are available to address whatever topic we're talking about. You might even show the, show the film twice. Look at it from different angles. We've got so many questions in the guides that, um, that can just spark discussion. They're meant to be provocative. Really? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Would you reveal so, one of the questions? Well, um, let's do... And you can think on it for a second. Dr. D, do you have any feedback? I think it sounds absolutely fascinating. And what's really getting across to me is this it seems very, very real. This is not, you know, cleaned up in any way, like a Hallmark movie kind of thing. 
this is getting right into the reality of what they're experiencing. And I love that. Yeah. Let, let me give you an example. I, I just pulled this one up. Um, so in the bipolar film, the lead character's name is CJ mm -hmm. and uh, CJ lives with bipolar disorder. CJ's friend Haley is aware that he has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and tells him that she was worried that he might be getting depressed again. So in that case, this is the question for the students. A, would you be embarrassed to tell your close friends that you were suffering from a mental disorder such as bipolar disorder? How would it be different from telling someone that you have asthma and need to use an inhaler? Hmm. And second follow-up question to that, what would be your response if your friend says to you, I've been feeling out of sorts lately and can't seem to control my different moods. My parents think I should see a counselor. So, you know, these are open-ended questions that, you know, you, you can see the discussion can go in many different directions. In some schools and in some cases, uh, we highly recommend that a counselor is in the room to help facilitate conversation, the help facilitate discussion and answer any questions or take care of any, you know, be there if someone is triggered and, you know, has, has a problem. But, um, uh, but, you know, in so many schools, they don't have that. They don't have counselors. Mm -hmm. The ratio in some high schools is a hundred to one. Right. And and how, and how do you take a moment to really kind of drill down or at least have a, an intentional kind of raw moment with that many people? Yeah. So it, it's hard to do. So we try to get as, as specific as possible in the curriculum. And, you know, uh, the educators can add their own questions to the, to the Q&A. They, they can have their counselors on board in the classroom if necessary, if they can, if they're available, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's, there's just, we're providing something that isn't available in most schools. Now, how do people get you into the school? So say there's an educator listening, how would they get you into the school? Well, they can uh, go directly to our website and uh, they can download or just press play and show the film and download the guides. Uh, they can also uh, reach out to us at info at glowmedia.org and we can walk them through the instructional process, how to show the films. And that's excellent. And so what's to count? How many schools have you been in, um, hmm. you know, at to date? Do you, can you, too many to well, count? That's not the easiest number to reach, um, only because we do have some of the online streaming services. I do know uh, that Warning, our first film, through Discovery Education, has been viewed by over two, two million students nationwide. Wow. Um, wow. So that one, that one's really, um, it's, it's made a difference. And the others are not as easy to track but um, coming up in the hundred thousands of views, and we 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 do screenings all the time. I did one two weeks ago at Sidwell Friends. That's where the president's kids go to school, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that one was uh, we showed both the, the the two new films, the documentary and the 
suicide prevention film. Um, day schools are day schools well are very written. good. Yeah, day schools are very good about yeah. exploring um, topics that are tough in an intentional way. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, does anyone else have any? I just no one else has any other topics. I mean, any other questions, Doctor D? Yeah, um, you said something really interesting, which was that you're creating these educational films and they can be, you know, watched by somebody as young as 12 or 13. How do you strike that balance where, you know, it's real, it's informative, but it's not too much for somebody who's kind of like just barely easing out of childhood? Well, I do believe that that is the call of the educator or the mm -hmm. parent or guardian. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have the guides for all three students, right. educators, parents and guardians. I'm not going to make that call. Okay, so you create the film in a way that there's flexibility Absolutely. for the adults who are watching this film, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, I've presented to schools, um, especially the first film uh, on the prescription medicine misuse. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't show it at my kids' schools. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, we're not, no, 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 no. We're we don't want to introduce any sort of ideas. Mm -hmm. to our children, <laughs> like sharing your ADHD medication or painkillers found in uh, parents' medicine chests, that sort of thing. And I, I can't tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. we, have right. it there, we have the guides and we have the resources and we have the um, professionals that have reviewed them and, and back it up. That is... I mean, that definitely sounds like a, you know, school administrator kind of objection mm -hmm. might have been rooted more in kind of liability. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, Absolutely. are we really going to sit here and pretend that most of those kids haven't already found out about some of it? Well, you'd be surprised. Some of these schools are like, we, we don't want to show them, um, particularly the suicide film. Mm -hmm. It's really tricky. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you, you can imagine um, the, the liability if you're showing mm -hmm. it and, and something happens to one of the students, they get an idea. Our film is the very antithesis of uh, some of the more glamorized Hollywood versions, like 13 mm -hmm. Reasons Why. Do you know right. that? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. this, is, this, was, this is anti 13 Reasons Why and has been reviewed by one of the leading suicidologists at um, NIH mm -hmm. who wrote the, wrote the book on why 13 reasons why should not be allowed to be seen mm -hmm. by young people. Um, anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself and back on my high horse. Not at all. This is fascinating and really exciting. Trish, get on the horse and ride it. Let's do it. Like go, go, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Uh, I, I just think um, knowledge is power. It is. And it, kids are not stupid. No. And they, I mean, they're learning so much in school and so much is being um, taught because it has to be taught. They have to pass tests mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. And the last thing schools have the money for or the time for is mental health. Now the arts are a close second. <laughs> so, you know, what are they get? Where are they going to cut the arts and mental health education? Mm 
Mm-hmm. But let's face it. Kids can't learn if they, if they don't feel good. Mm-hmm. No. It's not no. just physical health. They have to feel good emotionally. Yep. And I always thought that that was the, the key component to education um, is the, the holistic or the entire person, the inside mm-hmm. the entire self, mind, body, and soul. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've gotten almost, I want to say rote, because that's even too good of a term. We've gotten so rigid and mm-hmm. cold and like callous some, in some ways when well, it comes to education. I mean, that's one outside of, of day schools. That's one of the main reasons why I dropped out of public school. That was the reason why mm-hmm. we pulled Sebastian out. You know, our oldest was because they didn't. You just don't feel well in school, and you can't function. Yeah. You can't learn like that, right? Mm-hmm. He told me, you know, Sebastian, our oldest said, uh, he said, "Dad, you know, you don't know how it feels to get up from your seat and walk to sharpen your pencil, and feel like everyone is judging you, like not only the walk, but then also." sharpening your pencil yeah how you sharpen your how pencil. you sharpen your pencil he how felt you anxiety. walk to your school he had such anxiety and we mm-hmm. pulled him out and homeschooled him and he went from thrived one, thrived one nine to two nine and like instantly and it wasn't like the curriculum was watered down it was good curriculum yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i mean you know sometimes you know the these schools are just are are, are I, you know i don't want to be critical of public school because i am so pro public school mm-hmm. but like it's not every child um you know won't make it in that environment and especially if we don't learn to take like a complete approach um Mm -hmm. educating our young people absolutely and that's where we need to get funding they need to you know private schools can can do whatever they want and Mm -hmm. a lot of them Mm -hmm. do take care of the mental health um but we need we need funding from the top down to get into the public schools i'm a huge supporter it's a problem Mm-hmm. You know, the schools are funded um, basically by property taxes in a lot of places. Here in Chicago, um, because of the wide variety of socioeconomic classes that tend to be cla- in specific neighborhoods, hmm. uh, we have mm-hmm. public schools where it's wealthy enough for children to be given a tablet, like an iPad. And we've got schools where they're nonprofits trying to get enough textbooks for students. Mm-hmm. And everything in between. We so I absolutely it. agree that the financial piece has to be part of it. And I think we have, we do owe COVID, you, this is going to sound funny, but mm-hmm. we do owe COVID a debt of gratitude in that I think it's starting to turn the tide. Mm-hmm. And it is becoming uh, mandated in certain states to address mental health education. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, thank you, COVID, for shining a light on that. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Well, you know, I mean, had we been more proactive and, you know, I mean, of course, the issue is more complex. Uh, but, you know, many of the mass shootings that we saw, mm-hmm. had we, we we'd been able to identify, um, you know, uh, if a child or a young person was in crisis, you know, prior to that, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly, I mean, the gun issue is a gun issue, but I'm not getting into that. But what I'm saying is, is that if we were, if, if we had strategies and, 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 um, and methods in, in place, um, you know, I believe we would have prevented a lot of these uh, horrific events from occurring in our country. And then, yes, you're right. It's, it starts with funding appropriations, yeah. people. Vote mm-hmm. your vote matters. I will say that at least here <laughs> oh, in America. Yeah. Um, well, we're coming up to the interest. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Is are there some um parting words parting you want to say to everyone? Oh. 
Well, um, just about uh, your project, about your project. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Glow Media, come visit the website, glowmedia.org. Uh, we have five films available um, currently, and the two new ones the documentary about uh, COVID and teen mental health and the suicide prevention film are available by request. And you can shoot me an email, info at glowmedia.org. Happy to help anybody and everybody who wants to show our films and make a difference in children's lives. And everyone in Bipolar Land will drop the links in with the description. Yes. Um, make sure, Trish, oh, make sure you give me the appropriate bio for your description as well. But okay. we don't, do not leave. This is the next part of our show, which is pretty fun. It's our, it's our proverb. Yes. It's our proverb, uh, and proverb so proverb of the week of the week or two weeks now because we switched. Yeah, we switched two weeks now. Okay. Um, all right, so go ahead. It's a Chinese proverb this week. Um, a bird does not sing because it has an answer. It sings because it has a song. I like that one. You go ahead and tell us that. Let me noodle on that for yeah, a second. Yeah, you always have to noodle I on I have them. to noodle. So a bird does not sing because it has an answer. It sings because it has a song. I take that as there's not always a hidden meaning. The bird's not, it's not a hidden meaning. It's just singing. Mm-hmm. So you just, you don't always look for hidden meanings and things. Just appreciate what it is. I like that. Dr. D, what say you? I went straight to kind of perfectionism. You don't have to have some kind of a perfect plan to do something. Sometimes you just do it. Interesting. Trish? I think I, I, I echo Dr. D. That's exactly where I went. A bird does not sing because it has an answer. It sings because it has a song. You can also take it as, I mean, even with Glow Media, I mean, you don't start because you have an answer to something. You start because you have a story that you're trying to tell, right? Like you have a song that you're trying to tell. So that's mm-hmm. why I was going. I, I went straight to poetry as someone who was a poet and published, of course. Um, I go back to when when writing a poem, I'm writing it from something that I've experienced, whether good or bad. Mm-hmm. And you know, and 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 so when I think about when I think about a sonnet, for example, or anything, it's it's all based on something that I've experienced. It's not performative. No. Right? It's c- coming from a deep place. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's where I'm going to go from that. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Dr. D, do you want to give us any closing? No, no, words? no. Amanda said Stephen wants to know where the bird is going and why. Exactly, Amanda. <laughs> where is the, that's it. That's exactly it. <laughs> that's that, <laughs> That's actually good. You do know me very well. That's very good. <laughs> that is very, that's true. Where is the dang bird going and why? That's true. You know, I'm always, I'm digging deeper. You are. You are. I try not to be so nosy. I you can't do. help it. I can't help it. All right. So Dr. D, do you have any closing words? Yeah. For me, all of this is about the power of an entire community that's around mental health. And we've got this tradition that, you know, I'm very much part of in one way, where there's like the people who have mental health problems and the people whose job it is to try and help treat them. And there's distance there. And sometimes that's for very good reasons, like confidentiality. But, you know, I was actually also talking with some people on Twitter about, you know, what what it's like for us to be therapists. And we're like, community mental health was so much more fun because there was this whole community around it. Mm. 
And private practice is much more stressful because there's no community. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking about Trish going, she had, um, you know, she's not a professional. She's got experience. She's got knowledge. She's got caring. And she's using that to get all of this out there to people who really need it. And, it's, and, and it, how much and more powerful all this is when there's a community around the mental health instead of just the system. Yes. Right. And it's, like you know, that. that's good, isn't it? Wow. That's it. Amanda, take notes because I know you. Like you're looking at Trisha's next promotional event, so you need to take you need to listen to Doctor D over and over again. So, <laughs> um, thank you, Trish, so much for spending. Yes, thank you for coming on the show with us. Taking notes, oh, man. Thanks for having different. me. It, it was. It's an honor. It really is. It's truly an honor. And thank you so much. Um, I remember when I first met Amanda. She was like one of the first things. She was like, "Look." You need to interview Trish. So I'm so glad your schedule permitted and you were, you know, able to come on and impart this knowledge and this information and your project to the world from Tasmania uh, to India, from uh, Poland all the way to Canada and the United States and so in South America. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck. And, um, and I'm so sorry you're having your struggles right now, but there's always light you know, um, you know, on the distance on the horizon. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. Um, honey, what is this? What, what's, what's up? What, what song? Cause we didn't ask Trish. This show is just like, we're just, like I said, we're just really feeling it. <laughs> so it's, um, it's a song by Nini music and it's called Longma. Longma. Okay. Well, listen, everyone. Thank You're not you. going to like it. I, I'm not going to like it. Jeez. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone from across the land for listening. All 70 plus countries uh, for listening to Bipolar Girl. Thank you, Amanda, very much for connecting us with Trish. Trish, thank you so much. Dr. D, it's so good to hear you. We will get to Chicago. We will get to Chicago. All right. Or I will just come to D.C. A couple of interesting conferences there this summer. I could probably make a vacation of it. There we go. There you go. There you go. And we'll and we'll have a party. All right. We will party. All right. Thank you very much. Have a safe and fabulous two weeks, everyone. Get in touch with us. Come to our website. We have a support group if you want to. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.